Welcome in Marlins fans to episode 12 of Swimming Upstream and guys we made it. We're there after an abbreviated season last year and a winter that seemed to me to last forever. Pitchers and catchers have reported we got full squad workouts tomorrow. Everybody's showing up. The guys are excited. As we mentioned off the air just now, me and Pete at Eli, uh, we've been in for these Zoom calls and the guys just seem so fired up. It's awesome to see. Um, and we're so excited for the season. So uh, 162 games, the 28th season of Marlins baseball is not far away. Begins at home on April 1st with fans in attendance. Another huge aspect for me for this return of a full slate of Marlins baseball. Speaking for myself, it feels damn good to back to get back to some semblance of normalcy uh, in the baseball world. Uh, but as I said uh, at the beginning, we got, it's not just about me today. We got a full slate of awesome guys from all around Marlins media and all around the world, actually, to help us out, to preview this Marlins season. We're going to go through it all, guys. We're going to get to spring battles. We're going to get to what we thought about trades. We're going to go through free agency. We're going to hit on all of it, and it's going to be super awesome. But before we get to it, guys, I want to introduce one by one, because these guys haven't joined me and Daniel yet on uh, swimming upstream. So uh, you guys know who they are, but I'm going to run through how I feel about these guys because these guys are absolutely integral members of this Marlins uh, media scrum that we have going here. Absolutely fantastic to have them on today. We appreciate them joining us. First of all, uh, though, I want to get to the guy that has always been with me and uh, has been instrumental in building this podcast, starting out with my buddy Daniel DeVivo, uh, again, the co-host and just an insurmountable wealth of knowledge uh, great family man, fantastic person from Columbia. Daniel, thank you so much again for all you do. Um, I can't say enough about all the insight and advice that you give me. Um, you know, we kind of powwow together on what we want to ask these guys when these media calls are upcoming. We kind of get together on who we want to have on the show in the future and what we want to ask and how we really want to build this brand and this project. So he's absolutely amazing, guys. Daniel, thank you again for being here. How you doing? Hey, hey, Alex. No, I'm doing very well and really excited to be in this amazing company. Awesome. So next up, guys, uh, when it comes to basically all of Marlins media, there's basically one to three sources that you can be sure will be absolutely all over Marlins news when it breaks, before it breaks, after it breaks, everywhere in between. This man not only oversees one of those three sources that I just mentioned as its managing editor, but he's one of the most key contributors to that project and the website. Uh, so here he is uh, from New York. Uh, it's Eli Sussman, the managing editor for Fish Stripes. This guy does it all for Fish Stripes, guys. If you see something on Fish Stripes, it has Eli's fingerprints on it. He's a, behind their social media. He does photo video editing. He edits up their podcasts. So if you guys like Fish Stripes, Eli's the guy to thank for it. Eli, thank you so much for coming in, man. I do appreciate all of your advice and everything that you provide to our project as well. It's great to have you. How are you? I'm terrific, Alex. Doing just great. Uh, good to see you on Zoom. Good to see Daniel as well and Peter. And yeah, I mean, this is my favorite time of year. It feels a lot like last year, honestly. I mean, it was uh, the pandemic caught us pretty abruptly, changing all the plans that we had. Uh, all the preparation I put into last year it feels the same again this year, except hopefully it won't all go to waste this time, uh, assuming things go smoothly with this season. But uh, we're off to a fun start. And uh, there's a lot to break down. So this is a great timing to actually catch up on everything that happened this past year and what it means for the new season. So thank you, Alex. That's a great intro. 
Awesome. Well, thank you so much again for being here, Yali. We appreciate it. Uh, last but not least, guys, before we get to the show, I said it at the beginning, we're spanning the globe with this pod, guys. Uh, we got me and Eli here in the States. Eli's up in New York. I'm down here in South Florida. We got Daniel over in Columbia. And then we have, from across the pond, our great friend and the fantastic voice behind the Marlins UK podcast, the Fish Across the Pond podcast. Absolutely awesome source. Love everything that Pete and his, his team does. It's great to see him getting more involved with media. Um, he's awesome on Zoom calls, asks some really great questions to these guys. Um, we mentioned that off the air as well. Um, I'm really excited to see what the future has for his project because he absolutely deserves it. Great guy. Awesome. Great to have his friendship. Great to have him on the show today. So Pete, thanks for the inspiration. All of your advice that you gave me in starting my own podcast. Without you, this podcast probably wouldn't have existed. Pete helped me out with all the technical stuff to go through, uh, you know, how to edit a show, all this great stuff. He's been very helpful for me. I appreciate him very much. I am glad he's here today. Pete, how you doing? Oh, Alex, I'm getting emotional here. <laughs> <laughs> but I must say, this is this is a treat. I you know, to be surrounded by just Marlin's studs. There's no better way of describing it, but this podcast is just full of studs. So I'm excited to talk with you guys, excited to join you on the pod. Um, and I'm really excited for the year ahead. This is going to be one hell of a wild ride, no doubt about it, in 2021. So I'm looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on. Awesome. Awesome. Anytime. So, all right, guys, like I said, star-studded panel today. Tons of knowledge, tons of insight, and tons of opinions. Uh, we're going to get to it all, uh, so here we go. Uh, before we get to it all, though, before we get to the rest of uh, what uh, is surrounding this Marlins club in terms of player personnel and what we thought about the offseason and stuff, I mentioned it before at the start of the show. Uh, biggest thing for me going into this year is the news we got from Derek Jeter that to start the season, 25% capacity, actually a little north of 25% capacity was the quote from Derek Jeter, uh, to start the season at Marlins Park with fans present. Uh, of course, that spurred every Twitter baseball troll stuck in like last decade, uh, but that's not really here or there with those attendance jokes that uh, Eli posted it about it on Fish Rice, a hilarious uh, jab back at them. I really enjoyed that. Uh, anyways, point is fans back at Marlins Park with real noise, not just artificial noise. Awesome to see. We really, really are excited to have fans back at the stadium and to uh, have them seeing this club in person. Uh, we know you're kicking around plans, Pete, to come to the States uh, and get some games in. Uh, hopefully that happens for you. I definitely hope it does. Uh, it would be great to finally meet you in person and, and see you out at a game and, and getting to see these guys play. So, um, yeah, how are those plans looking for you? And how excited are you that fans are going to be back at the park? Oh, listen, this. You know, there's something in the works, right? There's, I've seen what looks to be the ultimate window with, I think, a seven-game stretch against the Dodgers and the Braves right before the All-Star break. I looked at that window and thought, holy moly, that's got my name written all over it, that one. Um, here's, here's the problems. Um, these need to be overcome, but they can be. My passport has expired, so I need to sort that out first. Um, secondly... I need to convince my wife, Tara, that this is a good idea. I don't think that should be a problem. She loves Miami. We were there a few years ago and she loved it. She loves two for one on the fishbowl cocktails. So I'll just sell her that dream again and we're all good. Listen, I, I, I'm trying to make it happen. Um, I, I can't think of a more exciting franchise at the moment than, than the Marlins. And the progression of these guys has just been incredible. 
Um, I haven't seen the ballpark, the new version of the ballpark in person. I saw the old uh, psychedelic version, let's say, a few years ago. So, listen, it looks awesome on the TV. I want to make it happen. Um, I, I think the general vibe I get is everyone wants to be there too, right? You know, everyone's just bursting to get down to Marlins Park and enjoy some some Marlins baseball. And there's a lot to like. There's studs on the mound, studs everywhere position-wise. You know, I hope actually we can get to a point near the end of the season where the 25% doesn't exist anymore, right? And it's just free for all, back to how we know it. Packed. And I, what I was intrigued about last year, this is the thing I was kind of thinking about in my mind, was those 6 starts, back end of 2020, Marlins in a playoff push, Friday, Saturday night, whatever it was, what would Marlins Park have been like? I personally just think it would have been just off the chains. I think everyone would have showed up and it would have been pumping. So I'd love for that situation to be there again and everyone can just pack it out. Yeah, I mean, more than any other game last year was that 6-0 home debut that got me thinking about what it would be like because he was he was so locked in for that game too. Quick, efficient innings. Like before you knew it, they were through like five innings, scoreless on each side. And uh, he's someone that would have fit off the crowd. And it, it's like hard to put your finger on what makes certain players really transcend um, uh, the normal fan attention span, but Sixto is obviously one of them. So any game that he starts would be another level, but of course we're, we're pretty blessed this year, at least as it stands right now with having almost every spot of the rotation, having someone that has similar ability to, to Sixto in terms of people that pound the strike zone and work efficiently and have nasty breaking balls and can get swings and misses and really get on a roll. So, yeah, I mean, who's, who's ever on the mound is going to be a really appealing target. Uh, w- one thing that Jeter did mention, because uh, for people that remember far enough back to 2019, how the team uh, really changed its guidelines in terms of how often it would open the roof uh, for games. And, I mean, that's something that's a pretty important factor when you're looking at COVID-related precautions, uh, you know, trying to simulate even though they have a retractable roof for obvious reasons uh, you want to take certain steps in terms of making it safer and lowering the risk for people that might not be vaccinated yet uh, but one thing he did mention is how they also had the ability to open up the walls behind the stands and that those walls uh, also do play a factor in letting more open air into the building so in terms of what you brought up uh, about the capacity and what that could look like as the season goes on. I don't think there's going to come a point where they can open it up a hundred percent and have people all sitting right next to each other. But in terms of seeing that number increase over the course of the season, I'm cautiously optimistic about that. Uh, and as Alex referenced, I mean, there are people taking cheap shots about the fact that there was a pretty significant portion of games in recent years where the Marlins did not draw 25% capacity to the ballpark. And sometimes even not even close to that. Um, so I think that is uh, it's, it's a lame joke. I think it is somewhat of a, a fair point that the team does need to be mildly competitive uh, to, to draw interest. I mean, that's always been a big motivation behind the rebuild in the first place is that, yeah, the team has to be good in this market to, to really resonate with people and to really the reason why it operates as a small market franchise is because for so much of their existence, they've been losers and they haven't been able to really catch on uh, for, for families and for individual people and to really get them hooked on the product. So yeah, that's uh, in terms of an estimate in terms of how many people are actually going to show up for these games. I really have no clue. There's a lot of factors there. 
but that's going to be uh, a fun subplot to the season for sure. Yeah, I a uh, couple things here. I do like the fact that they also pushed back the start times uh, during the weekday games to, I think, 640. Um, I think that makes it much more friendly for families to get out to the park. And Jeter definitely hit on that a lot, that he wants to make Marlins Park a destination for families more often. Um, so, yeah, that's definitely big uh, for me uh, from everything that we heard him say on his call. Um, so, yeah, um, really important there with the start times. Um, and then the other thing, uh, you know, this this sports market, and we all know this, if you're fans of the Marlins, the Dolphins, the Panthers, whoever it is, the way that this market works in South Florida, if the team's not winning, the fans aren't going to go. That's just it. The team has to win. The fans will come. If they're not winning, it's not going to happen. I think the Marlins are well on their way to building a winning product. That's a credit to Derek Jeter, um, Michael Hill, and now Kim Ang. Um, so, yeah, uh, I mean, I, I think definitely that this park is going to be uh, more filled as we go along and as this um, system continues to develop. So definitely. Uh, I, I do feel that um, <clears throat> that that's where it, in the Marlins were one of the teams that were more affected, was more affected by by there not being fans, because <clears throat> little by little, as a team does become more competitive, that's what you expect, right? To the, for the revenue in terms of, 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 you know, Kate and, and everything that involves actual people being able to watch the game in person, um, it will increase. And so the team and Jeter also mentioned this, the team has done a lot, a lot to, you know, to better that experience for, for fans and, you know, to have 2020 just, no fans at all. I feel like it really, it really hurt the team um, financially, obviously. And, and they did mention specifically, you know, we have we made the playoffs, but what would have happened if we had, we've had, had a couple games um, in the playoffs after 17 years, how, how cool would the, the uh, environment had been if, if people would be able to go. Yeah. Yeah, sure. Um, Definitely something to think about. Um, I definitely think they're taking all the correct precautions. You like that they partnered with companies like Lysol to keep the park safe. Uh, you know that the seating's going to be spread apart pretty well. Um, but yeah, I definitely think they're on the right track to, um, to having not only fans for opening day, but for the whole season. Hopefully that happens and we can just keep going to the park this year because that's what it's all about. All right. Uh, on the topic of scheduling, uh, I'm going to go to Daniel. Um, in addition to you know, obviously the full major league season returning also back minor league baseball. I mean, the guys that we usually cover we're back. So thoughts here on this, how, how excited are we? You can't, I mean, you can't imagine how excited I am. Pete was talking about, you know, coming over right before the all-star break. I'm thinking about doing a road trip with my brother you know, going to, to Miami, obviously watch some Marlins games I'm thinking the Mets series, um, like on the 3rd of September, but then drive up to Jupiter, obviously, and then Pensacola and Jacksonville. That's, you know, that's where the fun's for me. So in terms of finally having minor league baseball back, it's full lost year, 2020. Our strength, which is our farm system, you know, more than half, you know, a considerable percentage, considerable percentage of, of our guys weren't able to, you know, see any baseball coming at them from other professionals um, or pitch to other hitting professionals. So it hurts. It obviously hurts. And to finally have our guys 
um, you know, face other other athletes <laughs> will go a long way. Um, I love these six game series that we're now going to see from Tuesday to Sundays, <clears throat> but it will be tough in terms of, of, you know, I think Jacksonville is playing like 36 games against the same team. So it will be tough for, for pitchers, you know, hitters seeing them several times during the season. But I mean, it's, it's, it's baseball, man. It's baseball for them. And our, our farm system is ready to explode. Um, just thinking about those guys like uh, Yuri Perez, you know, you know how much I love that guy. Um, you know, like uh, Luis Palacios, who hasn't played above the GCL. You know, it's crazy. He was Rule 5 eligible this, you know, this past season, and he still hasn't played above the GCL. So I'm just really excited to see all of our teams competing and our guys. Yeah, uh, for sure. It'll be awesome to see them back. Um, you mentioned the six games, the six game series. Um, going to be a little different, I think. Um, I think uh, you're going to see six man rotations. Um, I think it's going to be six different guys on those six days, just because it fits with the scheduling. Um, and then, you know, like you said, um, for me, the big thing when I saw the schedules come out, um, these pitchers are, I think, just in relation to Jacksonville, because you mentioned them, these guys play 84 games against the same three clubs. So these pitchers, even if there's demotions and you know promotions and whatever there is, minor league baseball that happens, um, eventually these same pitchers are going to see these same hitters. So I think it's going to be tougher, definitely on pitchers. Um, but I also think it's a good opportunity for hitters to adjust to a guy. We heard a lot of players talk about the second time they face a guy, the adjustments that they make. So yeah, I mean it's going to be different. Um, I think that teams are going to switch up their their uh, their thinking and their mindset in terms of development. Uh, game to game. Um, I think that uh, scouting reports are going to be a lot better. We're going to get to know these guys a lot better just because the same scouts and the same people are going to see the same guys so often. So it's definitely interesting. Um, you know, we have AAA tentatively set to start here on April 4th. And then we have, uh, 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 excuse me, uh, the rest of the levels set to start there uh, in, in early May. Um, so yeah, I mean, it's it, it's going to be hard, I think, for for at least AAA to start. Um, me and Eli, I, I know Eli retweeted it on his page. Um, I saw the article too and read it on Baseball America from JJ Cooper. Um, and, you know, he really gives good reasons as to why we shouldn't put all of our attention into those dates, especially at AAA, um, because of the fact he, he gives a couple of reasons, but the main reasons that he gives is with the lost season, a lot of these smaller market teams are struggling financially. So there's definitely going to be some, some issues there um, unless the league helps with fu funding, helping fund these privately owned minor league teams. Um, so that's going to have to take place. I think at least for AAA to start on time. And then you have questions surrounding travel. How do you get a guy to and from safely stuff like that's really going to play a part here um, as we go through COVID um, and hopefully come up to the end of it. So it's definitely going to be different. Yeah. I mean, to go a little more into detail on some of those issues, it's the, the, the it's really no perfect solution to it at this point because they could play with zero fans and these teams could have smaller staffs and pay less overhead in order to run operations if there's no fans in attendance. Um, but that's not ideal and you probably lose money. And what JJ Cooper was pointing out is that if you start games with a very limited number of attendants, then you're paying a lot of staff to be there on game day to take care of the fans. 
but and you're paying those staff like normal employees, but the actual turnout is so much lower than it normally is that for these teams, it's even more unprofitable to go about it that way, just because they have a full staff showing up and uh, just a fraction of the number of people, a fraction of the people spending on tickets and concessions and all that stuff. And yeah, the timing of it is what makes it so complicated. Uh, under normal circumstances, obviously, all these full season affiliates would open around the same date. Uh, what they're, I guess what they figured out is because you have all these players in Major League Spring Training right now, and the ones that don't make the Major League team, you don't want to just send them home for like an extra month. You want, you want them to transition pretty seamlessly into a AAA season. Um, and but like, like I just laid out, if they do it that way, then the people operating these teams might not – Aren't, won't be so thrilled with that just because of where we are in terms of our country's handling of the pandemic and all that. Uh, but I guess that goes uh, head like together with a point that actually Daniel brought up on Twitter pretty recently in that um, if you look at these rosters that the Marlins have in spring training, it gives you a pretty good idea of who's going to AAA to start the season because if they're in major league camp uh, already, uh, I guess some of them will will stick around in Jupiter and go through all of minor league camp as well. It's a little awkward. I mean, for a lot of these guys, they go through their spring training and if they don't make the major league club, they'll be going to AAA. So, I mean, that's, that's something a little bit super specific that I don't think we want to get into on this particular episode, but it is uh, worth noting that a lot of these players that if they're in major league camp right now, uh, I mean, there's uh, even some of these guys that have very little pro experience that they're, some of the, for some of them, their first stop or uh, their first full season in Pro Bowl might actually be at AAA, and that really it it warps everything we thought we knew about player development in this situation. Yeah, like I said, definitely going to be completely different in terms of how they develop players um, this year with this schedule and you know with everything that's in place. So, um, just excited the season's back, but um, I think it's we're going to see some some different. Uh, minor league planning and different stuff from coaching staffs and everywhere around minor league baseball. It's going to be a changed landscape, but still glad it's back. All right. Uh, next question we're going to get to here. Um, it's going to be for you, Eli, and you kind of mentioned it uh, already uh, at the beginning uh, on the financials. Um, you know, the Marlins, uh, you know, they have going into this season, it looks like somewhere around 60 million. Don't quote me on that. That's what it looks like. Um, you know, it's tough to make this and not mention the fact that everybody around Marlins Twitter and everybody, you know, every fan that wanted that big name signing, that big contract to come in to help out the outfield or catcher or whatever it was. And there were some in free agency and the Marlins, um, they passed. So the question here um, is what were your thoughts of free agency? They did get some guys, they got Anthony Bass, Adam Simber for the pen. They, they added Adam Duvall there at the end. Um, you know, it, your thoughts here just as a whole on passing on some of these other guys like Eddie Rosario or Jock Peterson or maybe Archie Bradley, who I liked in free agency, um, you know, they pass. Um, so your thoughts on that and what do you have to say to people who are disappointed that we didn't make that big signing? Well, this has been such a awkward off season for someone like me that wants to analyze it all on, on fishstripes.com. I've been trying to draw the line between when the off season ends and when this new season begins. And I think what I settled on is that tomorrow is officially where that line is. Hopefully if I don't push it off any longer, I'll have a, like a really long article up on the site uh, grading the off season. So I'll, I'll reserve some of the analysis for that because it's really detailed trying to 
give a fair evaluation on what I think they did and didn't do uh, this offseason, you could absolutely see it in like certain moves that finances were a factor. And Kim Eng isn't going to admit to it. Um, Jeter isn't going to admit to it either. I think even Bruce Sherman directly denied that the pandemic influenced their payroll this year. I don't believe him. I, I think that can't possibly be right. When you look at some of the areas they were trying to address this offseason, uh, the, the move that uh, I'm sure we'll go into a little bit more that was pretty popular is signing Adam Duvall to a one-year guaranteed deal with a mutual option on the end of it. I, I like some of the certain things that he does as a power hitter and digging into his performance a little bit, you could feel pretty confident that he'll continue to hit for power moving forward. But this was a free agent class that was stacked with corner outfielders like uh, Jack Pete. Well, I guess at the highest end, George Springer is someone that will be a corner outfielder eventually, but even lowering the the bar a little bit, Eddie Rosario, Jock Peterson, um, Adam Eden, when in there, Kyle Schwarber, all, all these guys that are significantly younger than Adam Duvall, like at an age where you think they fit really well with the Marlins current core. But as it turns out, all these guys got more money than Duvall. And I'm pretty sure that's what held the Marlins back from really even being linked to any guys, that position. Um, and with starting pitching too, is like the big, and following this offseason, I think a lot of people were pleasantly surprised that a lot of these free agent starting pitchers got pretty good, like, individual salaries they didn't get long-term deals nobody got like long-term deals as a pitcher but a lot of them got really strong salaries for this upcoming year um and i'm there's there's such a like wide list of guys that i thought would have made sense like coming off a shortened season you're going to need more starting pitching depth than ever and as optimistic as the marlins are about what they have at the higher levels of their farm system i thought that once they got rid of urania once they got rid of robert duggar once they got rid of yamamoto I mean, those guys, performance-wise, you're not going to get being blown away by any of them. I understand that they're replaceable, but the Marlins really didn't replace them. They didn't replace those innings. They're just like counting on the next wave of arms coming up to contribute at some point during the year. So I thought that was a big missed opportunity uh, from Jake Odorizzi, from Jose Quintana. That was a guy I really had circled as someone that I knew would take a one-year deal, who is a veteran, but not super old, and who has a great track record of eating innings. Um, and even on the low ends, like Ivan Nova, Ivan Nova is a guy that pounds his own. is really efficient with his pitches. I thought that would make a lot of sense. I mean, you just, you listen to what these players say. You just got to listen to the players, how, how much um, appreciation they had for the veterans that were on the Marlins staff in recent years, like Urania and before him, Dan Straley, uh, guys of that nature, that even if they're not performing that well, those guys have really indispensable advice and, they can be just really generous with those that advice. And the fact that the Marlins don't have a conventional uh, starting pitcher that kind of fits that profile, I think is a missed opportunity. Uh, but all things considered, uh, I like the things that Duval brings to the, the equation. Uh, Anthony Bass, I thought was a really nice pickup as well. And um, I mean, overall, they did something before the end of it. I think I was really critical of them early in the offseason. And I think they they helped bring it up to respectability as we got towards the end of it. Uh, no doubt though, that the pandemic had an effect on this and the lack of a TV deal. It's insane that we're talking here on February 22nd, the same week that they start spring training games and there's no local TV deal done with Fox sports, Florida, um, that that must've obviously weighed into what they were able to do this off season. Yeah. Uh, just real quick for me, uh, to follow up what you, I just said, um, 
it really, I think looking at what some of these other guys that we mentioned signed for, like Rosario or Peterson or Archie Bradley, who I really liked, um, I had this down. It, looking at what they signed for and then looking at what other guys that we got signed for, like Duval, who signed for five mil, these guys that I think could have helped a little bit more and fit a little bit more than Duval. I do like Duval. I do like the power. I think we need it in the outfield for sure. But these other guys didn't sign for much less money. So is the financial situation that serious surrounding the Marlins? Of course, we just went through COVID. They're not going to admit it. Of course, Sherman's not going to say, yeah, money's a problem. We don't expect that. But I think there's a present issue here um, with finances. And hopefully, once we get fans back in the park and we get that money circulating again, that fixes itself. But I think there is an issue with, with uh, finances. Yeah, I felt I felt that the the strategy was pretty clear. You know, it's waited out, <clears throat> let everybody else fight for the premium guys, and then um, you know when players started getting a bit cheaper, that's when we came in and we did. You know, we signed these guys both in January, I believe, maybe, yeah, no, fe January February. So it does seem like that was the, the strategy, and yeah, I mean their their other strategy which is let's not block our prospects it's all is also clear you know Duval is a perfect guy you know you give him a one-year deal um and you and I were talking about this Alex yesterday all three outfielders have one year one year deals right now or at the end of their contracts so by the end of 2021 Dickerson will be out of a contract uh, Marte will be out of a contract and um Duval will have a mutual option pending for $7 million, um, which, yeah, unless he does amazing, which if he does do amazing, an amazing job, he'll probably want a bigger contract than that. So it's, it's hard that Duval will end up here for a second year. Point is, it's ready, you know, it's, it's ready for the prospects, for the Plodays, Encarnacion's, Burdick's, Meisner's, all those guys. Um, they're all really close. And obviously the Montes. Um, of the world so yeah this, the, those two pieces of strategy I believe were, were pretty clear this offseason oh one more thing before we move on from the subject to bring Pete in here I mean that debacle with negotiating with Brandon Kinsler I mean they had a club option on him to enter the offseason uh, they declined it mildly unpopular move but they were betting that they would be able to bring him back at the end of it at slightly less money they had that opportunity to bring him back at slightly less money right before spring training. And they get outbid by the Phillies at like uh, by about $1 million, even though they were offering a major league deal. Like they were, they clearly made him, they thought he was somewhat of a priority for them. And yet they didn't take that final step to bring him back. So, I mean, Pete, the fact that they let Kinsler and his huge plums go to a division <laughs> rival, uh, that's, that's one that I, I know Pete is, is someone that is a, uh, he, he brings the sunshine into these conversations, but I imagine that's the one move that was a little disappointing for you, right? Uh, I was really disappointed because, listen, Kintz on the field, he delivered. He absolutely delivered last year. We can't, we can't deny that. Off the field as well, media-wise, I thought he was sensational. And what as the season went on, what started to leak out more and more was the influence I think the Kintz had in the clubhouse on, on different guys. So... You know, what, I think when we look at these, the types of structures of deals the Marlins have been making, they're effectively making kind of backloaded short-term deals. Like it's clear there's some financial challenges. And, you know, like Eli mentioned, they they declined the four million, thought, hey, let's try and get him back on two and a half or whatever. Um, and I think for Kinsler, you know, hurt pride. Hurt his pride. 
the Phillies said, hey, listen, come on a minor league deal. He'll make the team because the Phillies bullpen was absolutely terrible. Um, and Kinsler's legit. So he'll come in, he'll make his money back. So good luck to Kins. I'll miss him. I think the Marlins, you know, it's clearly a financial issue that created that situation. Um, but I think we'll regret it. But a bigger picture bullpen wise, we may get into this uh, soon. I don't know. But for me, I think actually the Marlins have done a nice job with the pen. Like it's a completely rebuilt pen. And I think the way we've gone about adding guys through trades, you know, guys that have been pitching in the World Series last year, I, I think they've done a nice job. But totally honestly, I haven't seen a lot of these guys before. Do you know what I mean? Like I, I see the names, I see the stats, but I've not seen them yet. So I'm really intrigued to see what this pen can do. But anyway, Kintz and his huge plums, wishing well in Philadelphia. Um, I think the Marlins, uh, I think we'll regret that one slightly, but, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. To hit on that one, um, <clears throat> Kinsler specifically, it's such a tricky conversation because, you know, it's what it's what differentiates, you know, it's why you can't see players as, you know, pieces of meat, open quote, you know, they aren't, they have feelings, right? You know, a big part of Kinsler's decision of to not go with Miami was that they hurt his feelings. It's simple as that. You know, Miami saw it as a baseball decision. Like, hey, Kinsler, you know, with his stuff, with his age, he's probably not worth $4 million. So let's bring that salary down. This is how we do it. And Kinsler's, Kinsler's mind is, hey, you know, I took that personally, <laughs> to quote MJ. Um, so it's, and then obviously, again, we stick to baseball. You look at who they brought kind of to replace him. And I would say that the, in this case, maybe not to, for the ninth, but in terms of stuff, it's Floro, right? He, it's, it's, he's really similar stuff to Kinsler, but younger, you know, better measurables, everything. But again, not pieces of meat. What does that mean? It means can Floro come in in the ninth against the Yankees to get a double play, even though he does show better stuff? Maybe he can, but Kinsler did it. Kinsler showed it. And like, he's like, what does he have in his head? It's, you know, just cold blooded. That's amazing. You, it's, somehow it's, in today's baseball, you know, you can't judge that that easily. So again, it's a tricky conversation, but uh, it was great. Wasn't it just on, yeah. on Kintz, the way he literally walked us through post game, what was going through his head about how to get the double play via LeMahieu. Like it was a sensational media um, segment. So, you know, that's the thing with Kintz. Like he, he saw the field, right? I guess that's the best way to describe it. He could see the field. He knew what he had and he knew he could get out. And that's, you know, in high leverage, you really need that. And I think you can really miss that. Yeah, um, definitely. We're going to get to it a little later um, on which, which move hurt us most. I think we already know Pete's here with Kinsler. Uh, but just, just hitting on him here. Um, for me, um, we heard about it today. And this wasn't just a one-time occurrence. You hear these young guys talk about how they leaned on Brandon Kinsler for advice and to help them. I think Nick Neider said it today, but he's not the first one to say it. He just fit. It just seems like he fit here. I mean, how many big games did he come into, including that Yankees game? How many big games did he come into last year? Instrumental for that playoff run? I, I, I can't believe I, – I, I mean, it's a little while now, but I'm still, I'm still not believing that, that we let him go based on the fact that we wanted to, to, to just, just penny pinch him pretty much is what it is. 
And, you know, he, he takes a minor league deal with the Phillies. Obviously, that can turn into more money if he makes the team. I think he will, based off the state of that bullpen. Um, but it's just really hurt to see him go based on the fact that he brings it on the field and he can mentor these kids off the field as well. So, yeah, definitely hurt. So, uh, all right, uh, we'll go through uh, up to trades. And I want to go back to Pete. Uh, Pete, uh, you know, a little bit of both we saw from, from Kim Ang in trades. Um, you know, we see her DFA, uh, a guy like Jordan Yamamoto, and we get back a long-term prospect in Federico Polanco. Me and Daniel love him. Um, the club also, uh, you know, they traded away some prospects too, though. They traded away Evan Edwards. Uh, Marlon's extremely short at first base. We know that. Um, they get rid of Evan Edwards, who was one of their, their uh, basically one of their own, only, uh, you know, high, high, highly touted first base prospects. But they get back John Curtis. Um, Really like this guy. Um, you know, we, we got to talk to him the other day. Seems like a big personality. I like his stuff too. I, I think he definitely will add to the pen. Seems like from what I took away from him, a really communicative guy. I think he's going to be that guy that's in there giving advice in, in place of Kinsler, which we just talked about to these younger guys. He's obviously got the time with the Rays, you know, what they did going to, to the World Series and, and everything like that. So yeah, um, don't don't really like to give the Rays too many pieces. It hasn't worked out well for the Marlins in the past. But um, I think this one's a good one. Um, I wish Evan Edwards the best. He seemed like a cool kid. Um, good stats for him in his only uh, full minor league season too. So we'll see what happens with him. So hopefully we don't miss him too much. But uh, yeah, just some thoughts here. Um, you know, another one they got rid of was Kyle Hurt. So again, they, they get rid of some some prospects to bring in some some vets and they also go the other way as well. So uh, a little bit of both. What do you think here on this? Yeah, you're right. I, You know, the priority was the pen, clearly. Um, because of the moves we made and you know, non-extending guys, etc., so we've gone out and we've we've had to acquire some pen pieces, which look good. They look nice pieces, and so we've had to give away some of the guys. For me, the overriding feeling I get is our scouting guys are absolutely knocking out the park at the moment. Those the scouting guys are just on it, and clearly the Marlins are just stacked full of guys that other teams want. You know, these guys are just delivering. So I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable giving away non top 30, I guess, system type guys to go and acquire proven major league guys on, on minor money, I guess the, you know, the league minimum money, which is absolutely our profile. So, you know, it's not easy to get them guys, right. You know, to go away and get proven guys on, on, on the cheap deals, you know, it, it, you, you got to give up some, but it hasn't surprised me whatsoever the way we've gone about it. Kim Ang, in a, I think one of her first press conferences said, you know, we're going to, uh, the free agent market, I don't think was a key priority. Clearly we have, you know, we're not at that level. It was more so the trade market that she highlighted where we're going to be operating in. So I, I like what we've done. I, I, I like, in theory, on paper, I like the look of this pen, but with bullpens, you won't know what you've got until the heat is on and then we'll find out how good this pen is. So, but overall, I, I like what we've done. It shows a change of mentality, right? <clears throat> you know, this time, well, not, maybe not last year, but a couple of years ago, we were trading the Nick Andersons to grab prospects. You know, we were trading the bullpen ready now guys to, um, uh, you know, make our farm system better. So now it's the other way around. You know, we're giving away guys, highly touted guys to make our major league team better. And uh, I think it's safe to say that that's how it's going to look moving forward, unless we have a 
you know, horrible two, three months to start the season. And we become sellers for a few of our guys. Uh, the majority of our trades are now going to be probably um, to make our major league team better instead of, of making it worse. Yeah, I'm much happier with the trades than the free agency this offseason. Uh, my yep. biggest my biggest gripe is who they're choosing to trade with. I mean, I think it could be a rookie GM mistake to be trading with the Rays and the Dodgers, the two organizations that everybody else is afraid of. These are the two teams that just have a supernatural ability to create depth in their organization that they take undesirable players from other teams make them better and when they get rid of desirable players it makes you think twice about whether or not you should actually want them or not um i think the dodgers with dylan flora that's one that um on the surface i I like the deal it just raises a red flag to me that a team coming that just won the world series and that has three more years of control over Floro. So, uh, so uh, this is the big reason why I like the trades they made is because a lot of these guys have a lot of control remaining. Floro has three years. And I'll get to Curtis in a second. Um, he has even more. Uh, so, but the reason why they would trade Floro um, at this stage of his career when he's still so inexpensive too, I mean, less than a million dollars in salary this year um, for someone like Vessia. And I know you've talked about Vessia on this pod before. I've talked about Vessia on my pod before that um, what he showed really fascinating minor league career, absolutely dominant career. And he kind of brought it all the way up through the Arizona fall league and major league spring training that uh, I wouldn't be surprised if he has, he turns out to be a better pitcher at his peak than Floro is. But I really liked that trade-off for the Marlins because I think this upcoming year, you can definitely expect more from Floro. He's a much more reliable guy than, um, than Vesia is for at least this upcoming season. So I like making some sort of effort to improve their current, roster with that deal it's just hard for me to like square together why a team like the Dodgers that um that would want to get rid of a guy like that um for someone that has been in the organization who kind of turned his career around right before coming to the Dodgers that uh it does raise some red flags to me just the fact that whenever you're dealing with an organization that has that reputation and the Marlins haven't quite earned that reputation yet for being smart and for winning all these trades their their track record is pretty mixed and with Curtis now he has even a shorter major league track record but I love it because he at least has the potential to be overpowering and that's something that this Marlins bullpen was really missing last year they were able to have some success they got it a little bit from Yimmy Garcia um I think he's kind of a borderline overpowering guy. Most of these other ones are, are finesse pitchers that really rely on managing contact of keeping the ball in the ballpark. And there's some luck involved with that, which is why you just see a lot of these teams prefer ones that can strike out the side um, in a critical situation. And Curtis is someone that I really think can do that as well. I mean, his minor league track record, something like a 28% strikeout rate throughout his minor league career. Uh, he's someone that, has a couple plus pitches right right in the middle of his pitch mix his fastball and his slider and you really don't need a whole lot more than that if you're throwing strikes so uh, with him he has so many more years of control left too that you never like to see any you know never want to treat any reliever as a long-term part of what you're building you, you can't really look that far ahead but i just i like the fact that the marlins have that option with him um and yeah, these other little trades that they made, I approve of as well. I mean, I wasn't a fan of getting rid of Jordan Yamamoto, you know, for those concerns I mentioned about having starting rotation depth and really needing guys that can eat innings. But he's a guy that does have an injury history. 
coming off obviously a, a totally lost 2020 season. So to, to get something for him in, in Polanco, that's better than nothing. And of course, the biggest test of this offseason for the Marlins coming any moment when we figure out what they're going to do with Harold Ramirez after designating him for assignment. So I am I'm anxiously awaiting to see what they got in return for uh, one of my favorite players, hoping they get something in return for him. And, Don't get uh, me yeah. started, Eli. Don't that, get me that, started. That, and that's what I'm really waiting on before <laughs> making a final ruling of this offseason. If you're going to get rid of Harold, um, I, I hope they uh, they figure something out, that they get him into a good situation and also uh, hopefully just getting somebody back in return that could have a future in the organization. Yeah. I mean, these smaller trades, um, you mentioned it. Um, we've seen these kind of deals before with Austin Dean. Um, you know, he left for the Cardinals and got back a small piece for him. Um, it's becoming more popular, I think, in baseball um, in the DFA process to actually get something for somebody. So I think we definitely should be able to get something for Harold, who I mentioned to, to you off the air. It's just a victim of numbers for him. Um, I said to you that no DH really hurt him. Um, and with everything that he would have had to navigate in this outfield. Um, and then he's kind of limited defensively as well. Um, you know, it, it, it's not that the Marlins didn't like Harold Ramirez. It's just that he, he, he just, he just got, he just got killed by that numbers crunch. That's basically what it was there. I do hope we can get something of, of value back for Harold and definitely wish him well, because he's definitely a cool guy. Guys our lineup needs hitters. We have several good outfielders. We need hitters that, I mean, listen, man. Yes, he's Colombian. I'm Colombian, right? But I wasn't mad when we got rid of Tyron Guerrero. I understood. And for this one, fine. I understand, obviously, the points. But we need hitters. He came up from AAA and killed it. You know, he did it like a what? I'm not, I'm not looking at it right now. But 700-plus um, OPS. You know, none of our prospect hitters have come up and done – well to start obviously small sample sizes he did and everybody talks about Harold like oh you know we know what we have with Harold I mean this is it who says that I mean why is this it he's 26 years old so um yeah I hope he doesn't end up in another NLEs team as Yams did and, and, and kill us for the next five years or something I hope he ends up like in the Tigers or something where I can actually root for him um but I, I really liked Harold I mean he could hit period that's that's what I felt we needed right now yeah, um, just because you mentioned it, I know Pete will probably agree with me on this one. Um, it definitely hurts to see these these players that we watch come up in, in different NL East uniforms. Um, I can't even look at Jordan Yamamoto's Twitter page anymore. It, it just hurts. And I'm sure Eli is going to be the same way if Harold goes to another NL East team. Hopefully that doesn't happen. Harold in, in, in Philly red. Oh, can't even, man. No, thanks. <laughs> All right, guys, I'm coming up to spring training here. I definitely want to hit on the battles. Um, there's a couple there, big ones that we're going to see play out. I'm really excited for those. Um, but I want to mention something here first before we get to that um, regarding Sandy Alcantara. Um, we heard uh, during his first spring presser the other day, um, he says that this season he wants to do two things. He wants to, do, to throw 200 innings. That's number one. And number two is he wants to be the leader of this Marlins staff. Um, the first thing is the potential for 200 innings is definitely there as long as he stays healthy and stays out there. Uh, this is a guy that is counted on to go out and throw a quality start basically every time he goes out. Um, and he almost all the time does it. Obviously, you know, it's unrealistic to say that every time he's going to do that, but he gets pretty close. Um, you know, it was less than three innings away um, from doing it in, in 2019. So definitely uh, an attainable goal. Um, and I put this on Twitter the other day just because I was looking through numbers, just wondering who was the last Marlins pitcher to throw 200 innings in a full season. I was thinking maybe Jose. 
thinking, you know, maybe Nolasco who did do it. But the name I did not think of was Mark Burley, who was the last guy to throw 200 innings for the Marlins in 2012. So fun fact there. Hopefully um, uh, Sandy can, can, uh, can get that as well. So I think he can. Uh, so the question is going to be uh, for Daniel. Um, it's on the second thing that Sandy said about wanting to become a leader. Um, obviously on the field pretty much speaks for himself, right? He's definitely the ace of the staff right now. Um, so naturally a leader in, in that right, just based off what he brings and what he shows guys that he has. Um, talking to, uh, uh, I believe it was Castano today. He was mentioning about his bulldog mentality and about how he, he, he watches his starts and picks, tries to pick something up from each one of them. Um, thought that was really cool. I know he's probably not the only one. Um, you know, he's got some older guys around him, Cassano included, if Cassano makes the team. Um, few older vets in this bullpen as well. So, you know, the question here is, um, you know, with all of that in place, you love his mindset. Like you said, he's a bulldog type guy. Um, I love that quote that we heard from him um, during this uh, 2020 season uh, before that Yankees game, they're not ready for my stuff. And then he just goes out there and just blows them away. So obviously the confidence factor is there as well. And I think that would definitely um, rub off on some of our younger talent and how to go out and trust your stuff. So I want to get your thoughts though, Daniel, um, in addition to what I just said, maybe you share those same viewpoints. What do you think Sandy has to do this season to prove that he's a leader on this team, not just on the field, but in the clubhouse too? He needs to become that ace. I mean, obviously there's on field and there's off the field. Um, off the field, I feel, I think I saw Mattingly somewhere quoting, um, He's a silent leader, man. He doesn't have to say a word, you know. He he knows what he's doing. He has that confidence. He, he goes out and does things right. Um, and the younger players can see that. He's that type of leader. Um, and on the field, it's that mentality, man. You know, he still doesn't have a Max Scherzer, DeGrom stuff, obviously. You know, he's not there yet. But his mentality, he believes it. When you mentioned about the Yankees, what he said, like, uh, you – as a fan, you read that and you're like hyped, you know, you're like, yes, you know, that's what I want to hear from my ace, you know, like come and get me mentality. And if, if, if he can put his, you know, put his money where his mouth is and, and do that, which he did, he did exactly that. You know, I mean, he, he did it to the Yankees and then he did it to the Cubs in the playoffs, you know, big, important games. Um, so that's exactly what he's doing right now. He is becoming that leader and he, you know, he is becoming an, a big influence for our guys. And that's, that's humongous. Yeah. I, this kind of overlaps with what my gripe was with free agency that I think Sandy is awesome. I, I think it would just be great if the team invested in one other starting pitcher that is more conventionally a veteran, because um, I, I guess we brought this up right before we started recording that. I mean, Sandy Sandy is just so young and he um really not that far removed from him struggling at the major league level. It was that adjustment pretty late in the 2019 season that really got him on this track where he's been really consistent ever since, but such a relatively short period of time. And he's still, he's still really figuring out exactly how to best utilize his stuff based around his sinker. And um, even like, what he's done with his mechanics. Again, we're just not that far removed from him really struggling to find consistency at the major league level that it just seems like a really big responsibility to put on his shoulders coming into this year uh, to, to, to be like that leader in more ways than one for a rotation. If you have any expectations of that rotation, uh, 
and that team being a competitive team that it, it seems like a little too much too soon, but, uh, but we're going to find out. I mean, I've, I've no doubts about him as a person and the intangibles he brings. And honestly, the Marlins feel so strongly about him. I don't even think this is necessarily on our rundown, but I mean, he's a guy that even though generally you shy away from making long-term commitments to pitchers, if the Marlins really do feel so strongly about him and how uh, he's going to continue to get better and better utilize his stuff to miss bats. And if they see a ceiling for him to be like a really superstar player, then it'd be great if they try to get him under some sort of long-term contract before he his production makes him unaffordable. Again, I don't know if we're going to get to this in the podcast, but that's the one thing that sticks about out about this Marlins offseason. They've been relatively quiet and that's been okay. If they feel so strongly about these players internally, then I would have liked to see them. And there's still time between now and opening day. That's when a lot of contract extensions get done. If they feel so strongly about these young guys and what they're going to accomplish on the field, then the time to move is, is now to get those guys under long-term control um, to make them, to, to give them, of, of course, the resources, a, a lifetime of wealth under a contract. There's a lot to be said for that. And also for the organization to be able to put together a well-rounded roster. If you want to retain these guys, then you want to act before they reach their peak. Once they reach their peak, it's just very difficult to afford them. Absolutely right, man. Yeah, it really is. It's absolutely correct. Um, you know, these guys, you know, that have these skilled players that come, you know, whatever position they are, Brian Anderson, Sandy, whoever it is, you know, that that's here that they have a couple years of control left, of course, but you know, you want to get that deal done before they absolutely take off. Exactly what Eli said is exactly right. Um, it also speaks back to maybe the problems with financials. Maybe the Marlins just can't afford it right now. I think that's playing into it as well. Um, we don't know for sure. Um, so interesting stuff coming up, you know, like, like, uh, like Eli said, if we feel so good about these guys that we have, and we want them here. You got to pay them to be here. So, I mean, it's going to come down to that. It's going to come down to we pay them or we don't. And uh, as far as Sandy and Brian go, I hope we do. All right. So uh, I'm going to get to the spring battles. Uh, I'm going to go to Pete first. And uh, the first one we're going to talk about is going to be second base. Uh, all right. So obviously, Pete, we got Jazz Chisholm and you got Isan Diaz. Isan uh, came from the Yelich trade, of course, um, beat up AAA pitching to start 2019 came to fish for his first 49 big league games, um, played seven games with the Marlins in 2020, opted out because of COVID, um, came back for the playoff run and injured himself. So um, it was a tough timeline for him after how he dominated 2019 in AAA. Um, like he, he was going off, earned that call up for sure. Um, you know, it's just a cup of coffee that those, the, when I say 49 games, um, you know, probably learned a lot. And then, you know, he chooses to opt out because of COVID, tries to come back and he goes down. So I think he's hungry. I think he's going to come back camp and really show it. And this is going to be a super fun battle because the guy behind him is Jazz Chisholm and Jazz Chisholm, who's rated, uh, you know, a, a top uh, shortstop middle infield prospect all across baseball, America fan graphs, wherever you look, you know, this guy's there, he, he's up there in these rankings for middle infielders. So um, definitely going to be fun to watch it. I love jazz in terms of his tools and his mindset. Um, the thing for me personally um, and who I think has a slight edge here would go to Isan Diaz just because he has more time played against upper level minor league pitching. That would be it for me as my, my main reason why I would say the slight edge goes to Isan Diaz, but 
Jazz has all the tools in the world. And if he can put polish on him here in spring training and show that he can hit for power and for average, which I definitely think he can also great defense. Um, it's going to be a good competition. So what do you think here? Uh, and what's your reason behind who you think is going to win? Oh, it, it is the ultimate competition that the Marlins have in, in spring in many ways. This second base is it's tough. You, you, you've highlighted right with Isan, nothing left to prove in the minor leagues. Um, and just hasn't had a run at it, a full proper run at it since. You know, he, he was opening day starter, right? At second base, 2020, he started. I, 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 I'm pretty sure he did. Um, yep. You know, and then, you know, things COVID-wise got out of hand and he opted out. So, you know, for me, Isan should be favorite, but I also really like what I saw out of Jazz too. I, I, as he kind of grew into it at the back end of the, 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 the sprint, but as it, at the back end of that and into the, the postseason, um, he was showing flashes of exactly what, 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 what we went and got. And the reality is we gave away a huge piece to go and get him. Um, he's Miggy Rose understudy, long-term, a shortstop. It's just an intriguing battle. I mean, Jazz has got so many tools. Isan's got so many tools. I, I'd really like to see Isan just get a run at it. If I'm honest, I, just the powers there, powers just seriously legit. Um, I, the fielding wise was a bit of a concern from memory in his 2019 year. I, I think there was a few growing pains there. So listen, Jazz has him covered there, I think. Um, but for me, this is the ultimate battle. I, oh, who makes it? I think Jazz Chisholm takes it. There you go. Wow. All right. You heard it here first. <laughs> this with no insight from anyone. <laughs> Pure guess. Well, well, we've made it almost an hour into a Marlins podcast without saying Craig Mish's name yet. Um, and I'm aligned with Mish. I mean, him and I, are, he's pretty sure that Jazz is going to win this battle. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that Jazz is going to win it. Um, I don't like to overreact to tiny sample sizes uh, in terms of the actual stats. But yeah, just in terms of key moments and Obviously, Isan's home run in his debut, that was so wonderful. And the fact that it came up against Jacob DeGrom, of all people, it was a really fantastic moment. But in terms of actually watching the individual plays that these guys make um, and seeing what distinguishes them from anybody else and seeing a path for them to be really big impact players, I felt that Jazz, even in a smaller sample last year, uh, he did more both, I guess, mostly defensively and as a base runner. Than, uh, than what Isan did the previous year to make me confident in him. Um, it's, I think it was a big missed opportunity for Isan that, again, it was really out of his control. Uh, what happened with winter ball this past season where he went to back to Puerto Rico to play. He had played there previously in a previous offseason, and uh, their schedule got so compressed. It's supposed to be like 40-something games, and this year was only about 17. He wasn't even there for the regular season. He showed up only once the playoffs got started. And then right after the playoffs got started, one of the other teams in the league, not his team, but one of the other teams had a COVID outbreak, and they had to shut things down for two weeks. Like his team had clinched their spot in the finals, the, the league finals, 
And they had to wait two weeks to actually find out who their opponent was because of a separate COVID outbreak. And he, um, I guess he hasn't spoken publicly about this. I'd be interested to hear what his thinking was about returning uh, to the U.S. instead of waiting that out and getting a few extra reps. But either way, the the playing experience wasn't there. And I felt that we could have learned a lot more about him and he could have learned a lot more about himself by just getting more reps uh, during the winter that unfortunately just weren't really there for him. And Again, that's not necessarily going to mean the end of his career, of course. I mean, whoever doesn't win this battle can go right to AAA and just be there in waiting. Uh, this is a season we like to think of it as being less chaotic than last year. Uh, but the reality is there could still be some COVID chaos. Like you could, I would still bank on there being the need for more players to be used at the major league level this year than in your typical season. That whoever goes down to AAA is going to be coming back up uh, for a pretty significant portion of the season at some point, I think. Um, so I wouldn't want to, I don't want to make any bold declarations about either one, but I definitely think that jazz will win the job out of camp. I'm pretty sure about that. A lot could happen. Um, and I obviously hope it's a tough decision. I hope both of them thrive and make it a tough call. I would, I would expect jazz though, to come out of it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna stick with, uh, with these on for this one. I mean, people, people forget, man, but 2019, Triple A. Yes, I know it's the PCL, but it's a 132 WRC plus. That's 26 home runs in 100 games, 395 OBP, right? 22% K rate. These are, you know, these are really good numbers. And he has played what, 55 games in the majors. If you send this kid down to Triple A right now, that's a tough message to send. Especially because of the optics, right? Yamamoto, Yelich trade, he's gone. Uh, Brinson struggling. Yes, he did a bit better, but he's struggling. Monte, first season, he's struggling. He's probably going to start in Triple A. If you send this guy down to Triple A too, that's that's you know, really bad look again for the Marlins on that Yelich trade. But more than that, he was unlucky last season, right? I think it's his job to lose. I think he'd have to have a pretty crappy spring training to lose it and combine that with the fact that I do feel like jazz does need kind of like a you know, just a six you know like three months in triple a I even though you know jazz is one of a cheater favorite I think I think he has to be his man to start but again it's it's his, as as Pete mentioned it's the battle right it's it's you could go either way but I'd be surprised, man, if, if it's not Isan. Yeah, I, I mean, we're split here, guys. Me and Daniel with Isan, and then you got, you got Pete and Eli with Jazz. That's why we're here. Um, love to see differing viewpoints for sure, and different opinions is great. Um, one more thing to mention on on this battle. Um, I, I was I was looking at, at both guys, you know, sizing them up a little bit side by side, look, looking at them mechanically a little bit before we got on, because I, I was back and forth as well. Um, ultimately, I decided on Isan because I said, um, you know, more time uh, at the higher levels of the minors. Um, and then, of course, uh, just the fact that, you know, I really don't think he has anything left to prove in minor league baseball. Kind of group him with Lewis Brinson. I mean, Lewis Brinson obviously um, is in a different position, has more to navigate there in terms of what the Marlins have, you know, right now for right now depth and for outfielders. But I, these guys, when it comes down to it, there's just nothing left for them to prove against AAA pitchers. So I think... I, I mean, it's, it's hard because again, it's the battle, right? But 
if I'm sitting here right now and you ask me who wins that job and I have to answer it, it's gotta be Isan. Um, but the interesting thing for me is it's so cool because these guys are so similar. Um, they both bat left and throw right. They're both like five eleven, six foot, 200 pounds. They have similar tool skill sets with the great power at premium positions. Um, you know, jazz, like we said, has, has them on the defense. Uh, I think Isan's got some work to do with the defense. So it's going to be so fun to see it play out just because of how similar these guys are with their skill sets, at least offensively. Um, and, and you know how much they have in common. So going to be cool for sure. Um, another thing I wanted to mention before we get to the, to our next uh, topic, um, Mattingly, we heard him say uh, not too long ago that he's not getting away from jazz's potential future at shortstop. So, I mean, if Isan wins this battle and jazz goes down and starts, you know, hitting well at shortstop, could we see him come up and, you know, maybe platoon or get into games that shortstop with Miggy and Birdie and other guys like that? It's possible. So um, he definitely pinpointed the fact that they don't want to stop his future development as a shortstop. So an interesting point there. Yeah, um, this would be unpopular, but we need to at least mention the possibility that th- there is a lot of potential for Miggy Rowe to regress from where he was last year. I mean, last year he, he was his results were the best on the team. He was the most productive hitter on the team. Absolutely incredible considering where he was just a couple of years ago. Um, You dig into the stats as much as you want. And there's just not a whole lot there that tells you that he's going to keep this going. Um, That there was some luck involved, some small sample size involved. I mean, what he, the biggest improvement he did make is that he was just constantly putting his bat on the ball. If you're not striking out, then you always have the opportunity to be super productive. And that's exactly what happened with him. Um, He's, he's a guy that, I mean, we just need to put ourselves in the mindset of where we were not that long ago. Entering the 2019 season, he was splitting playing time with JT Riddle at shortstop. That's less than two years ago. And it was in 2020 that he took over as the, it was throughout the 2019 season that he got that stronghold on the shortstop position. He got the contract extension, he entered 2020. Um, he got to such a hot start. And then when he came back from COVID picked up exactly where he left off, he had a hold on that starting shortstop job. Uh, but as quickly as that came to him, I think it could go away relatively quickly too. Everybody hopes it doesn't because he is everything you could want as an ambassador for this organization, the honorary captain of the organization. That being said, I just I wouldn't be totally shocked if at some point during this year he gets into a really rough. I think there's at least that possibility that he fades from being an everyday player very quickly. I hope he doesn't, but that's exactly why they have all these highly regarded shortstops in their organization. Uh, for all the positives you could say about Meggie Rowe, doesn't have that traditional athleticism that you want from a shortstop. So it's in the not too distant future, I think you could see somebody else moving into that job. We better move on quick here. <laughs> Yeah, surprised Pete's not wearing his uh his Air Rojas shirt right now. Oh, uh, exactly. Was, I think I've got four of them. <laughs> yeah, big big Miggy Rowe fan. Can't blame him. Can't blame Pete at all. Um, great guy. Um, his podcast with with Pete was incredible when you had him on. I really liked the questions you had for him and everything. Just seems like the nicest guy. Um, I I really hope what Eli said. It definitely could happen that he could come back down to earth a little bit over the course of a full season, especially. Um, so I think that's also ta- being taken into account by the Marlins and what Manningly said about how they still want to develop jazz at the shortstop position. Um, but yeah, a um, lot of traffic there as well coming after jazz Chisholm. So, I mean, 
there's going to be guys that get moved around. Um, you know, just talking about some of the deeper down guys like Joe Dunand. Um, he switched over to third base full time after starting his career as a shortstop. Um, went off in the winter leagues. We saw that Eli, you were, you were privy to that getting to watch those games. Um, but then I obsessed got... over that, over everything <laughs> he was doing over there. And TSO I'm, he's one of my most intriguing guys entering spring training uh, for sure. Yeah. Other guys too. I mean, yeah. Ian Lewis, Jose Salas, all these guys that are coming at the shortstop position. So, I mean, if jazz has a future at that shortstop position, you want to see him show it and you want to see him show it pretty quickly. So um, yeah, if he goes down, if jazz doesn't win and he goes down and start and starts playing games at shortstop, I think that's a precursor to seeing that the Marlins want him to be at shortstop and to, for Isan to be at second base long-term. That would be a signifier to me. All right. Uh, we'll get to the last battle the second battle, I should say. Um, for the rotation. Um, three spots locked uh, officially with Pablo, Sandy, and Eliezer. Not in that order, of course. Um, Sixto uh, expected to fully get that fourth spot. Um, you know, got to camp a little late, uh, a couple days late, had some problems there um, getting back with visas and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, as long as he stays healthy and stays out there, I definitely think we all agree that he's going to be that fourth guy. Um, but then the fifth guy, <laughs> lots of competition here, guys. Um, we saw a couple of them today, heard from a couple of them today. Dan Castano, Nick Neider, uh, you know, you got other guys, Trevor Rogers, who was really impressive last year. Um, so, yeah, I mean, just to go through a couple of these guys real quick, and then we'll get to who we think is going to win it. Um, Rogers, um, before the 19, 2019 season, guys, some, something that, that I really like about him, he didn't really have much of a changeup at all. He was actually working on both that pitch and a cutter. Um, and I think he's since dropped the cutter um, for the changeup because the changeup just took so many big leaps for him um you know in place of only playing however many games we play there a 60 game season uh, you know so to see that level of development for a pitch that he was just starting to build up as early as 2019 to where that pitch has gotten that pitch was dead nasty i think uh when we saw him throw it um you know uh to guys to major league guys um i think that this guy uh, because of that and because of the amount of control that he was able to show some really great starts did have a little bit of hiccups, but um, obviously he also adds the facet that he's a lefty. So I think that definitely will add into his favor um, in winning this job. Uh, really like Trevor, other guys that we mentioned, Nick Nider, um, you know, he's a top 15 prospect, got him back uh, in the D Gordon trade. Um, I definitely say the Marlins won that trade, by the way, he still got Chris Torres sticking around too. Robert Duggar's moved on, of course, but still got two pieces, two quality pieces from, from that trade here um, in Miami. Uh, so yeah, good to see there. Um, this guy I think is super solid. Um, big K numbers that 2018 year in Double A. Um, I think I had it as 154 to 31 walks to strikeouts to walks ratio. So big, big K guy. Love to see it. Good stuff. He's got four pitches. Really messes with timing from what I see at a nighter. Um, really good guy to talk to. He's really faith based, which is also great to see out of players. You know that they're just they're just putting their faith. And, and the superior and just, just, just riding the wave, as we would say uh, in 2020. Right. So um, yeah, just definitely a guy, easy guy to root for there. Um, did go through the knee injury um, meniscus surgery. I think it was so limited time lately for Nick Nider got into, I think four innings with the Marlins out of the bullpen. So another guy there, um, Cassano, you guys know, I love him. Italian stallion, older guy, um, but super solid, just gets out. That's Dan Castano. So yeah, uh, I could throw on other guys as well, but I'll let you guys uh, get a word in here on this. Um, whoever wants to go first, who do you guys think here uh, for a fifth starter? I'll or, dive uh, in then. I'll should yeah, I dive yeah. in and I'll I'll I'll, <laughs> I'll go first and let the guys with the knowledge really pick it up. But please, Pete's Pete's a veteran now. 
no, 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 no. You, you, <laughs> you guys. Um, I, I, I think we're looking at this one. Um, I, I love Trevor Rogers last year. I love what he did. And apart from that one game, maybe against the Rays, was it where he was like tipping pitches to the Rays and they blew him up in one of the games, I think. But apart from that, I felt like Rogers was just real solid. And I tell you, the one thing when I think of him that I loved is that video in, in uh, the locker room after a game and there's like break dancing going on on the floor and whatever. And Trevor's just stood there like, what the hell is going on here? It's, it's an awesome clip. Jazz is going wild. Everyone's going wild. And Trevor's like, what is happening? <laughs> it was real funny. But listen, I, I love Trevor. Um, uh, the, the point you made, Alex, the fact, you know, he's a lefty. He's, you know, his stuff plays. I, I look at it. The dude can pitch. He's ready. And he's, I think he's awesome. I also really like Dan Castano because he's the type of guy that, for me, summarizes the 2020 Marlins COVID outbreak. Guys just dropped in, asked to do a job and just try and do it well. And for me, Dan Castano was, he, he just, that was him. You know, he was just reliable. He didn't shirk from anything. And he, he did well. And that, that gif knocking around, probably one of Eli's specials where he's giving it the old one more, one more. Again, that summed it up for, for, for Dan the man. Um, you know, for me, two, two great guys. I, I know uh, probably less about NIDA. We didn't see NIDA, I guess, as much last year. So, um, from what I've seen for those two other guys, I would see Rogers as probably the favorite there um, going into into this season. But I'll pass it over to the guys who actually know what they're talking about. Oh, <laughs> yeah, I agree absolutely with Pete. Um, <laughs> if you look at at Trevor's underlying numbers, I mean, if you look at the ERA, nothing pretty, um, but. If you look at everything else, I mean, that 380 BABIP is it's just, it's crazy. You know, it's one game, as Pete said, about the tipping. So I don't know if you let remembers, but he interviewed me or we had a, you know, a couple of years ago. I think this was before the 2019 season. And he asked me, you know, which prospects I was, I was low on, which ones I was high on. Dunan was the one I was most low on. So it's good to see him be better. But um, Trevor. Rogers was the one I said it was higher because everybody saw it was his second season into into the minors and his first season if you look at the numbers in, in Greensboro that's a single a a couple of years ago it's horrible numbers there's like whoa like five ERA or something like horrible whip but you look at everything else and it was really good the high K rate obviously extremely unlucky so I think that's exactly what happened this season. The stuff is there, you know, he knows what he has. He knows what he needs. He has amazing coaches and it, I feel it's absolutely his to lose that spot. Um, he's going to be better. That fastball is crazy. I and mean, when he's painting, that's it. You're done. Yeah. In terms of predicting what's going to happen, I have, I have no clue what choice they're going to make. What I know is that if I was in the position I would, my, my sympathetic heart, I think I would give it to Nick Neidert coming out of the gate because it really bothers me how long he had to wait, how he still has not started a major league game yet. A guy that was their 2018 minor league pitcher of the year and who was at AAA to start in 2019, like two years ago, we were talking about Neidert as a guy that could sneak into the opening day rotation. And then he got that tough luck with the knee injury. Um, by the time he got back, they already had all these other young guys that were really doing pretty well in the major league rotation. 
he lit it up in the Arizona Fall League to show that, man, he's so polished. Uh, you, you mentioned the four-pitch mix he has and uh, how well, the fact that he could command so well on top of that, that I, I personally, I really like his long-term outlook, and I think he could help right now. And it, it just irks me that he did make the majors last year and he did debut, but that's not the role that he was envisioned for. He was envisioned for a guy that I, I think you'd really love to have in the middle of your rotation someday uh in terms of my best guess i i could tell that that mattingly really appreciates what castano did last year and i think everybody's impressed with what castano did last year um the circumstances in which he started games a lot of doubleheader games a lot of um not much time in between his starts um just really a, a really terrible schedule for him like he was pitching on like seven days rest or he was on their taxi squad in between appearances. Like he, he wasn't getting as much time at the alternate site. Uh, even when he was technically optioned down to the alternate site, he wasn't actually getting any sort of normal environment to stay loose and to develop that under the circumstances for him to post bottom line numbers that were actually pretty si- similar to six numbers last year in terms of the innings, in terms of the ERA, um, I, in terms of the whip, even uh, the similarities I thought were amusing. That being said, he's kind of like a reverse Rogers where the underlying stats paint a totally different picture. Whereas we see a guy like Rogers and what he showed, the reason why we're so excited about him, despite the inflated ERA is uh, yeah, just because of the pure stuff and because of the pitcher independent numbers. And those are in reverse for Castano. Like his expected ERA uh, was his actual ERA was in the low threes. His expected ERA was in like the mid fives, according to Statcast. And so with him, I think, I think long-term, uh, the organization might have enough foresight to to understand that he should be probably a lower priority than those other guys we mentioned. Uh, but the rhyme or reason to making this choice out of spring training, I have no clue because this is a situation coming off a short and year where I think all these individual pitchers are over the course of a season, their innings are going to be managed pretty carefully. Um, Castano, I guess, being the oldest of them all and the fact that they I guess the fact that they have the least invested in him could work to his advantage in terms of getting this opportunity out of the shoot. That, that would be my best guess in terms of who actually wins the job out of spring training. Uh, and uh, I guess a, a nice feather in his cap that he's starting the first spring training game um, in terms of what that actually means. That might not mean anything, but we're going to find out pretty soon in terms of um, what he looks like turning into this new year. If whatever mojo he had last year, if that carries over, uh, it would be a great story because he's someone that I think we all root for and we're all pretty um, really amused by by how he fit into that clubhouse last year and the kind of difficult circumstances he faced. And he he really thrived under those situations. Yeah, I you hit it perfect, Eli. Um, just stating that whatever he was asked to do, he did it. And hearing him talk today, that's exactly what he said. He doesn't care if he's called upon to start, relieve, he even said close, um, you know, he's, he's going to do the job. He's going to take the ball. He's going to go out there and throw the ball and he's, he's going to do what he does. And yeah, the stats on him um, again, Lee stated with the fielder independent uh, stats, definitely true. Rogers had those stats in his favor. Cassano, not really. Um, so yeah, I, I, what do I think? And again, we said it's wide open any three of these guys, I mean, maybe even Paul Campbell comes in and maybe impresses and obviously rule five. So, you know, see what happens with him as well. Uh, that's the guy I didn't mention yet. Um, but if I'm looking at it now, um, if I have to make a prediction and it, it's, it's tough, because like we said, every, each one of these guys brings something different. So 
Um, I'm also going to go Castano um, as my guess. Um, and I'm going to say it based off what Eli already said. Um, you know, he's old. He's the oldest guy that we got. Um, we don't have a lot riding on him in terms of, you know, what we gave up for him or, you know, where we placed him on our top prospects lists or anything like that. Even though something Daniel pointed out to me, I think it's um, baseball America has Castano in like top 30 in the system. So it's, it's crazy. Like, you know, last season, if you were to say, yeah, Dan Castano is a top 30 prospect in the Marlins system, people would look at you like you're crazy. So <laughs> um, number 26, not even at the bottom. Like he's got some room. I think he's above Victor jr. <laughs> above Victor Mesa jr. Above uh, Will Banfield out the double check the list, but that surprised me. And I think it's, I mean, it's a fair opinion to have of him. Yeah. I mean, the thing about him, it's another guy that just gets outs. Um, I said that before. Um, Ground ball rate in the minor leagues was around 60%. I mean, you know, he just goes out, he limits his pitch counts. Um, You know, he can get deep into games. He's not going to overpower anybody, but he has that good ground ball stuff. He's got three pitches. I like him. He's a late bloomer. He's 26. You know, he's got that lefty back end lefty starter. I like it, Eli. I mean, I, I, guys, I, I think I think um, if I had to guess today, as we head into a full squad workout tomorrow, and Eli, of course, said that he gets the ball first in spring training, like that precursor there as well. Maybe it means nothing. Who knows? But, you know, good to see that we're going to get a good look at this guy. And, um, uh, you know, he was trusted last year, and I think we could trust him again this year. So, Castano for me. All right. Uh, I'm going to go to one final full-length question, um, and then we'll get to uh, the quick fire round before we go. Um, and we kind of already hit on this one before, but I just want to bring more attention to it because this was the talk uh, of the offseason here. Um, and I kind of already know what Pete's answer is going to be. I know what Eli's answer is going to be, but we'll let him have at it anyways. We already kind of hit on it a little bit, but I do want to mention it. Um, it's just going to be a quick question on the guy you think has come to the Marlins, either via free agency or a trade, that you think is going to be the biggest uh, producer for them this year at any position. And the guy that we've lost to another team that you think is going to hurt the most. So whoever wants to go for it, go ahead. I'll give this a try. Um, I mean, I guess the underwhelming part of this offseason is that most of the newcomers are relievers. So um, it is only so much of a ceiling that you can get from those guys um, in terms of how they contribute over the course of the whole year. Um, But I, yeah, I'll go with the, I guess somewhat of the dark horse. I'll go with John Curtis as the guy that is going to make the biggest impact. I, I really liked what he did last year, a small sample, someone that I'll admit it. I mean, Pete was pretty honest about this and I'm was right in the same boat that I had no clue who this guy was until they got him. Like I was watching him in the playoffs, but I wasn't really watching him. I was just watching the Rays trot out anonymous pitcher after anonymous pitcher. Like I, I don't have any specific memories of watching him live uh, during those games, even though I did. So that being said, I, I can't say that I have been a longtime proponent of him, but just digging into uh, what he did and his track record even beyond that and some of the intangibles at play where, where this was a guy that really could have broken through much earlier than he did, even before 2020, uh, just based on the quality of the stuff that he had and uh, some of the other God-given gifts that he has that I really like his upside. And one thing that he did that was at his disadvantage last year, despite his success is he was someone that wasn't getting ahead in the count. Like he, he was a guy that threw a lot of strikes, but not on the first pitch of a plate appearance. And his first pitch strike rate was super low, even when comparing him to a lot of mediocre pitchers. And that's something that I would expect to, to normalize a little bit. He'll get himself in better counts. 
And that being said, even when he was falling behind in counts last year, he was not walking anybody, only three walks during the regular season. If he's throwing a little bit more uh, in advantageous counts, if he's getting that first pitch strike, I think he'll be even better. And so I'm feeling pretty optimistic about him, about him eventually being possibly the closer on this team. I think he could rise up the ranks pretty quickly. I feel good about him. Uh, the departure that I'm most bothered by is, is on a personal level is Harold Ramirez that Harold, I, uh, I, I loved what he did in 2019, not just the actual raw production, but the contextual performance, how clutch he was authoring some of the biggest hits they had all year, making some of the biggest catches they had all year as a rookie too, even though uh, well-documented defensive limitations that he has. So it's unfortunate he's gone. I, I really, I had a whole podcast about Harold, I guess last week, uh, a full half an hour where I spoke about him specifically, where I understand the move. Like, I think it's a defensible move that the, based on the roster they built around him, that he doesn't really fit if, if there's no designated hitter this year, if he has nothing left to prove in the minors that I understand getting rid of him. So I, I don't really necessarily see that as a bad move, but it's going to be unfortunate to see him gone. Um, I guess other than that, I mean, the Marlins were really lucky this past year that they just didn't lose a whole lot in free agency uh, other than Brandon Kinsler. Um, and I'm, I'm, I guess one of you guys could talk about Kinsler a little bit more, even though we touched on him already. Uh, I'll just say that Harold is the one I missed the most in terms of uh, on a personal level. Uh, all the gifts that he inspired in our fist stripes gift database that he, uh, he was really pulling his weight and then some with starring in those moments that, uh, that are timeless. So it's unfortunate that he's gone. He was a nice success story. The fact that they brought him in on minor league deal. Um, I just I share all the sentiments echoing what you guys said before that just hoping he doesn't land with a rival team in the NL East, just go thrive anywhere else. I'll be happy. Um, for me, I'd say <clears throat> anybody who has a possibility of, of giving us 30 plus home runs, that's, that's going to be the best addition for me. So yeah, I'll go with Duvall. Um, you know, we, we, we've all seen what he's done to us as a, as an Atlanta brave. So whatever he can bring in favor of us, we'll take it. So <laughs> I'll go with him and yeah, the one that hurt the most, you already heard me rant about it 15 minutes ago. It's Harold. All right. I better round it off then. Hey, um, the one, the acquisition, I, I think Bass is going to be the one that's most productive actually. Um, I, I think he's going to get the, the shot, the close straight out the gate. I, I, I feel just because he's done it more than anyone it's kind of how Donnie rolls where he'll just plug him in. And if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. I mean, it's not like he's got a, a, a huge record of closing games, but he did it last year in parts for, for the Blue Jays. So uh, if he gets in and he delivers, then he'll be closing for the Marlins. And what does that mean? Well, I think the Marlins will win. They'll win over 70 games. So by the end of the year, I think he'd have had a good season. Um, I'm intrigued about Duvall, but, I could see how that could go wrong very quick and could end up looking mediocre, but we'll see. I, I like the addition. I like the upside, but um, we'll see. We, we saw a lot of him mashing us. And the guy, uh, the, the one leaving, as we've already mentioned, Kinsler. And just to mention this uh, huge plums uh, element that Eli touched upon uh, earlier on in the show, that, that actually came 
when we were doing our UK broadcast um, where we were commentating on games live. And it was that that game, if you recall, the Nats game where the the, the video feed cut um, right at the end, right at the, the final couple of outs. And Kinsler was pitching to try and close it out against the Nats. And I think there was maybe a couple of runners, maybe even bases loaded from memory. Anyway, the video went off. No one knew what was happening. All we then saw was that the Marlins had won and Kinsler had, had shut them down and the Marlins uh, had closed it out. So that kind of got me very excited and started shouting all sorts like huge plums from Brandon Kinsler, um, which in UK terminology means big balls, just for any uh, anyone who's wondering. <laughs> yeah, make sure the people know to get their huge plum shirt or dozens yeah. of other designs. Marlins UK store on Teespring is a great selection. I have my Marlins Twitter shirt somewhere in here as well from that. Good man. Get that, that collection get that, on. that you put together. <laughs> I, I already plan on getting my oppo with the boppo shirt next time I get paid, actually. So once the rent is paid, that's next <laughs> on my list, Pete. You're, you're next on the list after my, after my rent. So uh, I'll, I'll give you guys mine. Uh, you guys all went. Uh, we kind of already hit on this before, but again, since, you know, it's just the biggest story of the offseason with the activity that the Marlins had, um, I wanted to, to put a pinpoint on it. So I'll give you guys my, my biggest, um, my biggest uh, acquisition for the Marlins. Um, again, as Eli mentioned, a lot of these guys were, were bullpen guys, but for me, it's, it's another bullpen guy. I'll say it's Dylan Flora. Um, this guy, um, I, you go look at his fan graphs page. I was just looking at it a little bit ago. Some things I got from it are, are, are this. I'll just recite this, the, uh, the stats to you that I found that really, really makes me like him. Um, I'll go to exit velocities first, average exit velocities for this guy. Um, in 2019, 88 down to 87 in 2020, um, back in 2017 at 86. So the guy doesn't give up hard contact very often, right? Um, you know, obviously last year was shortened. He still got in 24 innings. Um, ERA solid FIP right there with it. 2.66 did have a slightly higher ERA in 2019. Um, it was 4.2 or somewhere thereabouts, but the FIP was down to 3.5. Um, and then again, in 2018 is with two teams, um, 2.25 ERA, 3.08 FIP. So it's just a guy that continues to go out there and get outs. Um, another thing I'll say every, every single season of his major league career so far, he's had ground ball rates over 50%. So it's a guy that just goes out there and gets outs in different ways. Um, he can definitely strike guys out. He's got a really good changeup. Um, and then also he can induce those ground balls. So I think this is a guy you could see in a variety of different, uh, different roles. Um, definitely late relief, definitely high leverage where, you know, maybe a starter struggled and, you know, the bases are loaded. And who do you want to have as that one guy, like a Brandon Kinsler, who could come in and, and is relied upon to get that ground ball out or just get the guy out in any way possible. I like Dylan Floro. So I think he's going to be the biggest guy for the Marlins in terms of um, production this coming season. Um, really like him. Uh, obviously, he also pitched in the World Series, won a title. Can't say enough about that. What's that going to bring to the clubhouse? This guy's been there. He's done it. So got the ring to prove it, right? So, yeah, I mean, Floro, for a variety of reasons for me, is my guy. Really like him. I loved that trade. I did not like losing Alex Vesia, but, I mean, to get something, you have to give something up. Um, I think Vesia is awesome. Um, Eli disagrees with me on this, but um, I like the fact that uh, him and the other piece of that trade at Kyle Hurt are going back home. You know, I, I think that that's big for them. Eli doesn't agree with me. I think it's big for them because you hear, uh, you hear, we heard Vessia talk um, uh, when we got to talk to him back uh, in spring training, uh, I believe in 20, I believe it was last season before we got shut out. Um, you know, 
he calls his parents and his college coaches after every one of his outings just to like break it down with them. Um, so he's going to be no longer having to zoom those guys or call those guys. He's going to be right next to them. They're going to be, you know, able to give him advice right there and actually watch him, you know, maybe throw a bullpen or at home or something like that. I, I think so, stuff like that for a guy going back home to pitch for Vesia, who's at big point in his career. Um, I think where he's right on the cusp and has, you know, has already been in the majors, but is, is ready to be a full-time major leaguer obviously joins a great system to um, Dodgers. So happy for him. Super cool to see. Um, just wanted to mention that on, on them. Uh, wish Alex and, and Kyle the best, of course. Um, the piece I think will hurt the most. We already mentioned it as well. Um, I agree with, with uh, Pete, uh, Brandon Kinsler. Um, it's extremely frustrating for me, honestly, um, if I'm speaking bluntly um, as to the, how that happened with him um, and how we didn't bring him back. It's extremely concerning for me. We laid that out before as well. Um, but yeah, um, it's going to be tough seeing Brandon Kinsler uh, coming into games uh, potentially against the Marlins if he makes that team. And I think he will um, closing out games or, or, or just, just striking our guys out considering that he could have been with us. So that's what I think. All right. Um, finally, before we go, it's, it's already been a long episode, but it's been a, a ton of great information. So no time wasted. I mean, this was awesome. I appreciate all of you guys for coming in. Eli, you kind of coordinated it. So I want to thank you as well. Um, sucks that Alex Contreras couldn't be here, but um, we hope he's doing well uh, with his career as well. We know he does big things in the movie business. So wanted to shout out to him. Love him. Um, Alex Contreras, the real Akon on Twitter. Follow him. Great guy. Super good fan. Uh, so yeah, wanted to, wanted to shout him out. Um, he couldn't be with us today, but we'll definitely have him back on in the future. Um, so uh, last thing we'll get to, and then we'll go guys uh, for now is going to be the quick fire round. Um, Pete, you do this on your show. I kind of adopted it. I, I do it on mine now as well with everybody that I bring on. Uh, the first one I want to get to, um, whoever wants to go first, take, take, take the first shot. Who hits the Marlins' first home run in 2021? Good I'll Lord. give it to Brian Anderson. I'm taking Alfaro. Okay. Um, Megiro. I'm going to go off the wall guys, because whenever I ask this question and, and I throw out the big names and like Anderson or Duval, who obviously has power, um, I'm going to go completely off the wall because it's always a guy that you never expect to do it. Right. So I'm going to go completely off the wall and I'm going to say it happens a couple games into the season. And I'm just going to throw out a random name because, you know, I think it's going to be a random guy again, because that's the trend. I'll say Chad Wallach, because why not? Chad Wallach for me, first home run. Sure. Love it. All right, so next question here um, is going to be uh, on Lewis Brinson, and it's simple. Is Lewis Brinson a Marlin in 2022? I'm happy to no. take this one. I'm happy to go straight off and say absolutely yes. Yes, love to hear it. That's no for me. All right. Uh, I'm going to say no as well, because we can't have five outfielders in our roster. And, and if, if what do we do with Magnuria Sierra? So it's rapid fire. So I guess no, but it, it requires a lot of explanation. <laughs> so, so no. Yeah. Quick fire round. I know we could delve deeper into it, Daniel, for sure. Um, I definitely know what you mean. Um, for me, um, I, I, it hurts me because I'm sitting in the same city that he played high school ball in right now. Um, Carl Springs. Um, it really hurts me, um, but I, I, I will also say no, because a depth and and b he's just running out of time. 
that's that's pretty much it. He needs to show it, and he needs to show it right now. And then he has the option. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. He has a minor league option. Yeah. So one more option left. So yeah. I mean, with with all we have right now in the outfield, you know, and, and what's going to be here, I, I don't think he starts the season with the Marlins. I think he could come up at some point with the Marlins. Um, but yeah, having that option, Mags doesn't have the option, and then everything else that we have, um, I think uh, I think he starts in the minors. Could be here, maybe. But uh, in terms of 2022, I don't see it happening. All right, um, I'm going to go to round three. Um, and this has been kind of trying for, for Marlins fans for a while. Eli, you can attest to this. Um, it, it's tough to buy a Marlins jersey with a player name on the back and feel secure about it. <laughs> so if you're buying a Marlins jersey today with a player name on the back, who are you putting that vote of confidence in to be a long-term Marlin? I got mine. Uh, my wife got it for me, and she did it. She did it correctly. Sixto Sanchez. She got me the uh, Sixto Sanchez forty-five before you know, like six months ago. So she couldn't, since it was custom made, she couldn't put the tilde on it, which is not great. But it's him. I mean, it's Sixto. For me, it's JJ Bleday. Um, that's that's gonna be my guy. That's the only. Um, I, I've talked about this before. How although. Uh, I agree that our farm systems in, it's in great shape um, in terms of all the guys in the farm system who I feel most confident in uh, being successful in the majors and him obviously being a position player, I think adds to my confidence in, in wanting to invest in his Jersey, because uh, I think that makes him more indispensable. Blay would be my guy. Oh boys. I have a checkered history with Marlins jerseys. So I'm just going to call that out. Now I have, a Stanton jersey that I bought in Marlins Park. I might only ever visit there. I also have a Brinson jersey. And I have an Isan Diaz jersey um, that, I've, that I've acquired. I've recently had a Miguel Rojas and a Sandy Alcantara set of jerseys arrive also. And if you recall, around Christmas time, I had a Jose Ureña jersey bought for me by my wife. Uh, by accident, let's say. That was hilarious, man. Yeah, <laughs> like your wife was like, "Hey, I heard you talk talk about him a lot." So exactly, <laughs> exactly. So I, I have, I have a few. I have a checkered history. For me, though, the next jersey I'm gonna buy is Jazz Chisholm. I absolutely love the dude. He is electric. He's got connections to uh, Great Britain, uh, playing for Great Britain as well. So it's a natural fit for me. Straight up stud Jazz Chisholm. Yeah, um, I, I, I'm kind of similar to Pete. Um, I have, I have. If you look at my closet, I have a, a, an array um, of, of Marlins jerseys. I, I, you know, and an array of colors too. I kind of cross the whole Marlins rainbow when it comes to colored jerseys. I've got the orange Stanton jersey. Um, I've got the teal '93 jersey, Jeff Conine. Um, you know, I have a couple of the um, old whites uh, from last rebrand. Uh, Jose Fernandez, of course, I have. Um, I also have another white Stanton jersey. Um, I recently actually bought my girlfriend because it's her favorite player on the Marlins. She's a Yankees fan, but she deals with me and everything that I do with, with the project and the podcast and listens in on, on everything. Uh, so she kind of adopted somebody as her favorite player. She, she likes Braxton Garrett. So I actually bought her a Braxton Garrett jersey. Um is that the best choice um, in terms of love Braxton, not, not, not taking nothing away from him. Um, is that the best choice if we're considering, you know, a Jersey that you can wear 10 years from now? I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. We'll see with everything the Marlins have pitching wise. Um, I agree though here with, with Pete, um, I'm going to go jazz Chisholm. Um, and I'm going to say so because of the fact that in two, three years time, maybe not even maybe this year, 
this guy is going to be a fan favorite because of his demeanor, how I've already seen him interact with fans. And of course, he's got Jeter's vote of confidence, um, switched the number to number two. Um, he also has a great relationship with Derek Jeter. Um, I think this guy's going to be around for a while, uh, whether it be at shortstop or second base, which we talked about before. Um, love him. Love the tools. Um, I think he's going to be here for a while. And if I'm getting a jersey today, I'm getting Jazz Chisholm and I'm picking the black one too, by the way. All right. <laughs> so uh, we go to our next one. Um, and this is the second to last one. Um, which Marlins prospect, be it top 10, 15, 20, whatever it is, gets called up to make his debut first? In 2021. Ooh, that's a tough one. That's tough. Because so many of them debuted last exactly. year. Exactly. I'm checking here the list. <laughs> oh boy, who's left? <laughs> I guess I guess the news with Eddie is not good news uh, for for this one. Perhaps we would have said Eddie, but. Um, yeah, no, it, clearly. It, I, I actually designed the question this way because, as Eli said, a lot of them were here last year debuting. Um, you know, you kind of got to check. I mean, there are some in the top 10, 15, but you got to kind of check into uh, the deeper, not not too much deeper, but you kind of got to check into like the 20s and 30s to find the guy. I know who mine is. Um, I can go first if you guys want. Um, yeah, go I'll, go, I'll go first as you, as you guys peruse because I know I sprung the question on you and I had time to, to research it. Um, I'll say JJ Lede. Um, I'll say JJ Blade because I think he's going to probably start um, up in uh, most likely I want to say in double A. Me and, me and Daniel were, start, were talking about this as well. Um, you know, he had the time in Jupiter last year, um, made some adjustments there. We saw those come out a little bit in spring training, what he was able to accomplish after um, the initial uh, showing in Jupiter, which for Jupiter wasn't bad. Um, you know, he hit 258, but you got to take into, fact, into account that it's the Florida State League. Uh, it's extremely hitter friendly. Um, so yeah, I definitely think he starts in double A. Um, I think he could get the push up to triple A. Um, if he succeeds there and hits the ball well, I think he should get, he could get the push up to Jacksonville, um, maybe by mid season. Um, and then with what we have with these guys with expert contracts, uh, in the outfield, Starling Marte, um, and then you got Corey Dickerson. I, I don't think either one of them lasts the full season in a Marlins uniform personally. So I think once one of those guys is gone or maybe both. I think you see J.J. Blade come up and make his uh, debut in the outfield. So Blade for me. All right. So mine um, is not <laughs> is not a, a you know a high highly regarded prospect. But looking at right now at Triple or at uh, our spring training and kind of analyzing a bit, I'm going to say number sixty one on our list, Alex um, Alexander Guillen. <laughs> oh God, deep. Uh, yeah, wow. We're going. We're going deep. <laughs> This is a, um, a guy we just got as a minor league free agent. Um, crazy stuff as a bullpen guy. I don't, think he, I don't think he makes the team to start, but any injury, anything happening, he's probably going to be killing it in AAA. So I'm going to go with him because, I mean, in the outfield, you know, Bleday's season is starting in May, right? So if we need somebody in April – it has to be somebody from AAA, but almost everybody from AAA already made their debut, unless maybe like a Brian Miller guy, but we have so many outfielders before him. So I, I had to go to the bullpen if it's not Eddie. So I'm going to go with, with Kia. Remember that name, fans. Yeah, it's a hard question too. Like we said, a lot of these guys have already been here, but I wanted to ask it because, um, you know, obviously we know Daniel was probably going to go deeper down the list. I wanted to get Pete's viewpoint on it too, and also Eli. 
Um, you know, we do have depth to pick from if we need a guy, but most of those guys have already been here. So I thought it was an interesting question, but I'll let the rest of you guys go ahead. Yeah, I have a fun one. I'll go with um, one of the youngest guys under consideration, Jose Devers. I, I don't think he's going to get up and stay up immediately, but entering this type of weird season, being a guy that's already on the 40 man roster. I think if we're talking about who's going to get called up first, uh, I mean, we remember in, in past seasons, how big it is being on the 40 man in terms of when you arrive in the major leagues. So I think he's a guy that could be brought up in an emergency. If um, one of the speedy guys gets injured, uh, let's say Brinson and Sierra are both on the opening day roster and one of them get injured. And the Marlins just want a guy, um, who's a pinch runner, a defensive replacement, uh, and somebody that in case the game goes into extra innings with that funky extra inning rule to have somebody, a designated pinch runner for a very short period of time while somebody's hurt, I'll go, uh, I think he's the guy that he could be up. Um, uh, I have a lot of mixed opinions about what his ultimate future potential will be, but I think we're going to see him this year, um, even if it's just for a brief period of time. Should I round it off? Yep, go ahead. You, you boys, uh, I like your thinking. I, I may be, I'm staying at the top of the order, at the top of the list, so to speak, but he was talked about when he was drafted. Could you see him first year straight in the mix, mm. Max Meyer? Nice. We, we didn't, we didn't, but uh, I think we could. It's possible. I wouldn't, it wouldn't shock me, put it that way. I think that's the way I'm looking at this is I, I wouldn't be shocked if Max Meyer is up doing doing bits uh, back end of 2021. So, I mean, who knows? I mean, a COVID outbreak kicks in and we were back to next last year and we're bringing all sorts of players in. Who knows? But Max has got a shot, I think. But I don't know if the Marlins really want to press that kind of development timeline on him, but we'll see. Yeah. I mean, there's there's other guys that, that we could throw in. Um, I think the guys that we mentioned are definitely the... Um, the main ones. I like Eli's with Devers, by the way, he was, he's been in spring training last couple of years. So um, yeah, I mean uh, some, some, some candidates for sure. Um, another one that we didn't mention, uh, maybe Gerard Encarnacion. Uh, you need that big power bat, you know, maybe Duvall goes down. Hopefully not. Maybe Duvall goes down. You need that power bat. Maybe Gerard gets an opportunity. Could see it. Um, yeah. Uh, it's, it's going to be fun for sure. Um, but yeah, uh, just so much depth and so much to pick from. So um Fun question there. I forgot he didn't play. I, 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 you know, he was kind of up in spring and was performing in spring in Canacion and and then obviously didn't make it up in the end. But that's a great call as well. Like it looked, the power looked legit. Like you said, if, if one of the big power guys go down, then it could be a nice fit as well. So I like that call. Yeah. On a team that, that kind of struggles for power other than one or two guys, I think he would be a good pick to make. Um, so yeah, I mean, hopefully everybody stays healthy and we don't, we don't need to bring them up early too early, but, um, yeah, like, like Gerard power bats huge. All right. We're, we'll get to the last one guys. This has already gone on a while, but, uh, like I said before, um, no time wasted here because if you guys are still with us, you know, that this has been absolute high quality in terms of previewing this Marlin season, variety of opinions definitely differ on a lot of things, which I love to see that. I don't like everybody just getting on a podcast and agreeing with, with each other. So I like difference of opinions. I like that we all are coming from our own viewpoints and we have our own thoughts on this Marlins team. So I'll give the star on top of the tree, if you want, to this question. And this is kind of basically going to corroborate what I just said about us all having different viewpoints about the Marlins in 2021. Um, if you had to predict right now today where the Marlins finish 2021 and do they make the playoffs? 
Got everybody counting us out again, guys. Everybody's saying, every source is saying they're finishing last. We're going to take that bottom feeder mentality, I think. And I think we're going to show, we're going to show uh, some, as, as, as uh, Pete put it before, some huge plums. So I, I think that, uh, that this is going to be a fun team to watch, but I want to get your prediction on the, uh, on the uh, potential record for the Marlins and do they make the playoffs again this season? I'm a little higher on the Marlins than these projection systems are. I mean, I've seen fan graphs. I've seen baseball perspectives. Uh, I've seen other uh, panels of experts weigh in on this. I'm a little, I'll, I'm a little higher. I think the difficulty of competition in the NL East is being a bit overrated. That uh, that was an excuse that people had entering last year for why the Marlins would be terrible. And uh, things change pretty unpredictably uh, under when despite what your payroll is and what your talent is i will go with 74 and 88 record and that does not get them into the playoffs unless they expand to about a 22 team playoff so they're going to be on the outside looking in but 74 wins which uh would be i think all things considered depending on how they get to that number i think people could be feeling all right about that when it's all said and done Oh, this is a real toughie because I, I remember going into last year, me and Eli spoke actually on Fish Across the Pond and we went into this. I was so high on the Marlins going into the 60. I could just see the path. I'd mapped out every game. I could see us doing well. It's so hard to do that in one six two. <laughs> it really is because there's so many variables. Listen, the Marlins for me, they're not going to finish last. Let me get that out there. They're not finishing last. The pitching's too good. We're not finishing last in the NL East. It's not a chance. Someone will blow up. Multiple teams could blow up. Um, yes. I, I, the, the point Eli made there I think is really intriguing is whatever the number is, how do we get there? Like the number may not really matter. It's kind of how we get to that number. If it's, a, you know, if we completely fall off a cliff or if we, you know, we're out of it and we sell and then, you know, we... Uh, kind of look again to the future. So I think there's a few intriguing points, but for me, I think we're slightly under 500 at maybe 80 wins, something in that region above the Phillies and above the Mets because they always blow up. There you go. <laughs> I love it, man. Um, <clears throat> I'm with you, Pete. This team is way better than everybody thinks. Um, I really do. I don't think we make the playoffs either, but 81, 81 is my number. We are, we are going to be at 500. I know it's extremely optimistic, but I can feel it, man. It's, it's what you said. It's the pitching, you know, every single day we have a really exciting starting pitcher and the bullpen just got better and the lineup, everybody, you know, everybody pisses on our lineup, but look at their stats last year. I mean, it's, it's there. You got <clears throat> Brian Anderson, you got Marte, you got Aguilar, you got Rojas, you got Cooper. Now you got Duvall. Dickerson can't be worse than he was last year. I mean, well, maybe he can, but I, I see that he will do better. Um, 81, man. That's my number. I like it. Uh, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of in the same, the same boat around the same range as most of you guys. I think I'm closest with Eli on this one. Um, my number is going to be 77. Um, I'm going to say they finished just below 500. I also agree with, with Pete that we're not finishing last. There's going to be somebody that just blows it. I mean, yeah, the Mets got all these big names in the offseason, but it's still the Mets. Um, and then the Nationals, um, I think they could struggle as well. 
So, um, yeah, I don't think we finished last. I definitely disagree with all of these outlets, like Eli mentioned, um, Fangraphs and Baseball America and everyone else in USA Today. I saw, too, that's saying that the Marlins are going to finish last. I don't think that happens, but I don't see them making the playoffs, and I think they finish just under 500. Would be awesome to see them get to 500, but we'll see. I mean, uh, you know, even though the, the moves that we made weren't necessarily loved by the fan base, um, they wanted to see more. We mentioned that early. Um, you know, they did make improvements. Um, the Duval uh, power bat, um, the bullpen is much better. Um, you know, yeah. Uh, and you're, you also have, like I mentioned before, you got Marte and Dickerson. They're on expiry deals. You know, they're looking for their next deal. So do they come pop and, and show, show some show some muscle here, uh, try to get their next contract? So, um, yeah. I got to say to all, the, to all the fans out there, if anybody sees any platform giving a lower than 70 over over under for the Marlins use your money that's all I'm gonna say man I mean we are not losing more than 70 games or winning less than 70 games sorry <laughs> yeah definitely agree Love uh, it. yeah 77 and 85 from me all right guys uh it's been a show it's been awesome definitely a, a loaded potato as a radio personality down here in Miami would say Mark Hockman uh but a great show and uh some great insight. Again, I love the difference of opinions. I like that we basically span the entire system with these questions with Daniel going all the way down into the sixties and our prospects to pick out his guy that he's good. He wants to debut covered the main guys as well. Covered all the trades activity by Ang, you know, everything that we have considering that we have going positively and maybe that's of a concern. That was my thought behind the show. Um, Eli helped me put it together. I think it was awesome. You guys are all fantastic. I want to give each of these guys uh, outlets some love here before we go. Of course, Eli Sussman, managing mm-hmm. editor for Fish Stripes. He could be found at Fish Stripes on Twitter, of course, on Fish Stripes on SB Nation and his personal Twitter. He's always posting some nice quips on there. I love his personal Twitter account at Real Eli. Um, then you got Daniel DeVivo, of course, at Daniel DeVivo and on our podcast on Swimming Upstream, which we have some awesome stuff in the works for that. So stay tuned there. And then finally, our great friend and an awesome, awesome podcaster. Fantastic. I hope I lived up to his hosting standards. I doubt I did. But I hope I got close. Um, Eli, <laughs> you can probably tell me as well uh, that this guy, super awesome podcaster. He's so good as a host. And I wanted to bring him on as a guest and kind of get him out of the element a little bit. But I think he did great. Awesome. Really love it. Great stuff, guys. Really appreciate all the time spent. Eli, thanks for helping me put it together. Daniel, you as well. Pete, thanks for being here. Uh, again, give Alex our best because he was supposed to be on. But uh, that's going to do it, guys, for episode 12 of Swimming Upstream. We hope you definitely enjoyed it. Uh, we really enjoyed spending the time just chatting about the Marlins and, and giving you our outlook on the 2021 season. And last and not, but not least, let's go fish. See you guys next time. Soaring up straight. Oh.